Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, January the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, big news out of Tuscaloosa. Tua Tungavailoa is officially going pro. We'll break down his skill set, his fit in the offense, in the building, in Davey, and what it might cost to trade up to go get him. We'll have it covered for you guys from every single angle. Plus, we begin part one of the 10-part season review and off-season preview series as we dive in on the quarterbacks today with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Tua Tungavailoa, and all the other guys in between. And we'll wrap it up with my updated shortlist for the fifth pick in April's 2020 NFL Draft. All of that and more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Keep us in those top 200 and top 100 ranks. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. We operate in facts, not in conjecture and cryptic tweets. Follow the show at Locked on Fins. And of course, Check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all the daily written content on your Miami Dolphins, including today's piece, taking a look at the quarterbacks of before and in the future. That's another Miami Dolphins. And the future of the quarterback position certainly points towards one particular player, and he is the left-handed quarterback, number 13 from Alabama, Tua Tungavailoa. I have plenty of written content for you guys, video breakdowns on Twitter, on LockedOnDolphins.com, as we have done all year long. We've covered every single pass of Tua Tungavailoa, as well as scouted his 2018 season and, of course, the 2018 National Championship game when he came off the bench. And immediately you recognize the biggest strengths in Tua's game are the things that really translate the best to the National Football League. Number one, his processing ability. If you want to blitz Tua, if you want to send extra rushers, he's going to find the vacancy in the defense. He's going to find a way to attack it and put the ball right on target on the upfield shoulder, the upfield hip, the accuracy and processing those two things mirrored together, married together, make him a dangerous, dangerous quarterback when it comes to playing within the structure of the offense. And it allows you to empower him at the line of scrimmage, the way this offense in Miami does to make the right decisions, to make the right checks, to get the team into the right play over and over again. And he also features the ability to go off script when things break down. He can erase free rushers. He's very smooth in the pocket. A quick weight transfer to get from one spot to the next to find open passing lanes. He uses ball fakes to keep rushers at bay. He is so adept at breaking tackles, at shaking tackles, at keeping himself in the correct position to be a threat, to throw the football down the field, to run the football and take off and move the chains with his legs that way. This guy is as polished as they come in so many areas. His arm strength isn't the best, but it's more than adequate he can certainly push the football to the field side from the far hash. He can throw the deep comeback, the deep out. He's not going to drive that thing out there and rip fastballs over the middle of the field on drive concepts for you, but he wins with his anticipation and his accuracy, and the arm strength is good enough for the NFL, but it looks even better when you put together the accuracy and the anticipation. 
And the versatility of Tua's game basically is on display year by year. You do go back to the 2017 season when he barely played at all, came off the bench and won the national championship game, erasing a 13-point deficit in the second half against the Georgia Bulldogs. And just a quick aside real quick, I do have a connection who was on the Alabama coaching staff a couple years ago as a GA, and he mentioned that Tua's character and the way he galvanized that team and the way he handled the next year's offseason competition between he and Jalen Hurts, even though everybody out there knew that he was the most talented quarterback, the way he handled that situation and kept it about the team, not about himself, was one of the most promising things. We'll talk more about Tua's character here in just one second, but in that 2017 season when he did come off the bench to beat Georgia, it was mostly zone read. He had 12 design runs in one half of football, a very college-style offense, basically taking away the checks and the side adjustments for Tua in that game. Then, you fast forward to 2018, his sophomore season when he has a little bit more seasoning under his belt, and it's more of a spread, taking vertical shots down the field and just attack teams relentlessly in a way that Alabama had not done before in their storied history, in their storied program. Tua had that offense breaking records every single week throughout the course of the season, and he damn near has all the Alabama passing records now, even though he basically played one full season there for the Crimson Tide. Then you get to 2019 and the guy learned how to play quarterback. It was so impressive to watch him get the team into the right play, check to a run play when they had to, check to a hot route right behind the blitz, much like Joe Burrow did all year for LSU. He took checkdowns. He took what the defense made available to him, stayed on the field, kept the offense in rhythm, kept him on schedule, and just really played the quarterback position. So basically, you have all three elements of the quarterback position in the last three years that Tua has shown you that he can do. This guy is as advanced as they come, and despite all of that stuff, all those different styles of play, he was just always really damn good. Like, he basically never had a bad game. His touchdown percentage never dips. His yards per attempt didn't suffer. The offense just scored points on top of points on top of points. He made big plays when it mattered. You go back to that national championship game his freshman year, the walk-off touchdown pass in overtime on second down and 15. The LSU game this year keeps Alabama in that game. He erases a three-score deficit in that game. And then, of course, Bama could not hold up on the other end. But several big throws and big moments in that game, third down and long, clutch situations in the red zone. Tua has done it all. And the thing I might like the most about this, and you heard Nick Saban talk about it, but the character of this quarterback and what the quarterback room will look like next year with Ryan Fitzpatrick and with Tua Tungavailoa just absolutely oozes confidence, oozes a friendly demeanor, and they have galvanizing traits, the both of them. To me, that would be the most beloved room, the beloved quarterback room in the National Football League. To go back to that Saban comment, I thought the two comments from the press conference that really stood out, one from Saban, one from Tua, quote, nobody had an impact on this program like Tua did ever, and not just on the football field, end quote. He then talked about his spirit, his optimism, the stuff that goes so, so far for these guys. It's a big, big deal. It'll be a big deal for the Dolphins brass who have talked time and time again about how the quarterback is wired, how he leads, how he gets the communication in and out of the huddle and the huddle etiquette in general. That stuff, again, goes a long way. And Nick Saban told us basically that Tua checks those boxes very emphatically. Now, the part that he hasn't checked yet is the medical. And there was a question about his hip. And he said, Tua did, we won't know 
more medically until the three-month mark. Around mid-March is when the three months after the injury occurred in November, so we should have more about that time. And he wants to do a pro day, but we'll see. He's going to take the advice of the doctors. He also said he's optimistic about playing in 2020, but right now the focus is just on his rehab. And the way this quarterback room could be structured potentially if Tua is in fact the draft pick is that you could go back to the Patriots model and they brought in Chan Gailey, who's worked with Ryan Fitzpatrick through five years of his career. So he takes the starting quarterback, the experienced veteran, and then you have Jerry Shaplinsky, who I've talked about time and time again, who coached up Jacoby Brissett and Jimmy Garoppolo. He could be the one that takes Tua under his wing and kind of has that tutelage in that way. Either way, Tua would enter a very, very comfortable situation where he could grow and learn in the offense. And then there's the idea about trade-ups and what it might cost to go get Tua. And we'll get back into that here on the other side after our first break on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. And if he is, in fact, the one the Dolphins choose to go after, the one that likes all their pretty songs, maybe the Dolphins will have to trade up to make that pick happen for Tua Tonga-Vailoa to eventually wind up in the ultimate destiny in the aqua and orange with your Miami Dolphins. And let's go ahead and cover each of the teams the Dolphins might have to inquire about possibly trading up to go get their quarterback. We know right now the Dolphins have the most ammunition among any team in the draft to make their moves up and down the board. This is what they wanted. They wanted the flexibility to make their move when they see fit. If Tua is, in fact, their guy, you have to believe they have the best chance to go secure him and make their quarterback selection of the future this April as the wait for the franchise quarterback could finally finally come to an end and we start with the Bengals up top they're good they're taking Joe Burrow I don't think there has to be any more discussion beyond that and then things start to get a little bit interesting with Washington now Ron Rivera said he's not interested in a rebuild plus they don't even have a GM right now and will not hire a GM until after the draft so any major decisions for future draft pick consideration to me seems unlikely you have to call them and gauge their interest for a trade there because if they're closed off good that means they want Chase Young and They're not going to do business, but if they're receptive, well, shit, because maybe they're taking offers from other teams and then you might have to go all the way up to number two, which could be costly. We'll talk about that here in just one second. The third pick is where really business begins, in my opinion, the Detroit Lions. This is where game is absolutely on. There is a pre-existing relationship there between Matt Patricia and Brian Flores and all the guys in Miami that worked with Patricia in New England and Bob Quinn there as well with Patricia, the GM. They're both barely hanging on to those jobs as they were announced to be brought back, back in like week 15 or week 16. And anytime that happens, that means, well, you don't have the best job security because they had to make a press release saying that you're safe for now. And so for them, drafting Tua, to me, only serves to set their replacements up well for the future. There's a playoff mandate from Mrs. Ford, the owner there. So they have to have an impact player right away. And everyone in the world has Jeff Okuda going there, the Ohio State cornerback. And if they draft or they trade down, I should say, to number five in the draft, then they can still get Okuda. But if I'm Miami, I say, yeah, you like him for your defense. He's a perfect fit for you to get that bad secondary fixed up and to give you a chance to win enough games to keep your job. But if you go back to five, 
you can still get him in that spot because we like Jeff Okuda. And if you trade back with someone else behind us, like the Chargers or the Jaguars or whoever it might be, then we're just going to take Okuda right in front of you so you can't get him. So enjoy your draft picks. I'm sure your future GM and your future head coach will enjoy those draft picks because you're going to be fired if you don't get the right guy for your system. That's my pitch to the Lions to say, if you're trading with anybody, it's with us. Then there's the New York Giants. And the reason you can make that threat about Jeff Okuda is because the Giants have a lot of investments in young cornerbacks. They spent the first, second, and fourth round picks last year The first round pick on DeAndre Baker from Georgia. The second round pick was on Sam Beal in the previous year's supplemental draft. And then they came back in the fourth round with Notre Dame's Julian Love. So three high investments into the cornerback position there. I have to imagine Dave Gettleman, who never trades back, by the way. He always stays in his spot and makes his pick. I have to think that he goes after his hog molly like he likes to do to justify saying we're going to put an offensive lineman like Andrew Thomas or Tristan Wirfs or Jedrick Wills in place here because he can justify that supporting both his quarterback in Daniel Jones and his running back in Saquon Barkley, two top six picks in the last two years. So Miami then has to have better offers than the Chargers, the Panthers, the Jags, maybe the Colts, but they're all the way back at 13 and nobody has more ammo than Miami in this case. And the Oakland Raiders are there at number 12, the new Las Vegas Raiders, I should say. And they also have pick 19, so they could offer two first round picks to go up, but still Miami can beat those. So the Dolphins are in a position where they they can get the guy they want. Either way, I'm just not so sure I see any of these teams trading because the Lions, they need an impact player. Dave Gettleman never trades back. You just look at his history and we know he can't resist the best offensive lineman on the board. So maybe the Dolphins do just stand pat here. But if they don't, here are the trade value costs according to the old outdated NFL draft value trade chart. Again, it's not science. It's not a technical thing. It's just an idea of what teams look at in those spots to get from number five. And this, all these trades include the fifth pick. You have to give up the fifth pick to make these trade-ups. To go from five to number four, cost you just 100 points, and that's an early fourth round pick, so the Dolphins can get off scot-free almost for that. To go from five to number three, it gets more significant, 500 points, which will cost you a second round pick. Technically, the 40th overall pick is worth 500 points. The Dolphins have the 39th pick, so that probably is your cost of doing business to go up with the Lions at minimum. And then the second pick in the draft is 900 points to go up from number five. That's going to cost you a first round pick. In fact, number 18 overall is exactly 900 points. And that's where Miami picks in the first round. Again, number 18 overall. So those are your costs to go up and trade. And while trade-ups happen all the time, they do happen before the draft. And maybe if Miami does gauge that Washington interest at number two and they say, hey, we're not doing business, we're taking Chase Young, then maybe you can get that trade in before the draft even occurs to go up to number three and pretty much solidify Tua Tungavailoa in that spot. The Jets did it from six to three to get Sam Darnold, although that could have been argued it was for Baker Mayfield or Josh Rosen or maybe even Josh Allen at the time. Then you go back to 2016, both Jared Goff and Carson Wentz to the Rams and Eagles were products of significant trade-ups before the draft occurred. So it is all game on. I hope you guys are ready for a brutal four months. I'll do my best to bring you along that timeline and continue to give you guys facts based on research and study opposed to the conjecture and cryptic tweets. We'll have you covered everything here front to back from the draft free agency on your Miami Dolphins football team. And with that, let's change gears now here and talk about the quarterback position. I've been teasing this segment for several days now. It's finally time. The article is up on LockedOnDolphins.com. 
I'm calling it Miami Dolphins 2020 quarterback preview. We're going to do this with every position for the next 10 weekdays here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. So strap in as we preview the offseason and review the roster and what the guys did this past season in advance of a 2020 offseason. But real quick, before we do that, I just got back onto the computer and finished typing up the article and finishing this podcast as I recorded the first half of it earlier in the day because the wife and I had a big, big appointment to go to on Monday, our ultrasound to find out the gender of future baby Wingfield. And it is in fact going to be a girl. So our due date is in May and we're going to have a little girl. I cannot wait to welcome Caroline Wingfield into the family and into the universe and into Dolphins Nation. Mama's looking good. Baby's looking good. Everybody's healthy and we're all happy on this end. And I think we'll all be a lot happier if the Dolphins make a certain decision at the quarterback position. But in case they don't do that, I gave you guys plenty of other options and alternatives up on the piece on LockedOnDolphins.com. Part number one of a 10-part series, Miami Dolphins 2020 roster building preview, the quarterbacks. And it starts off with the forward where I basically tell you that The model with which I approached my Locked On Dolphins gig when I first got it had several layers to it, but I'll tell you this. Number one, I wanted to be the fastest in the business, the first guy to get you information and breakdowns in detail. And number two, and most importantly, the most comprehensive and the most analytical in terms of doing my research and my study, I believe I accomplished that. And last off season, I really went in hard on this third belief here. And there's three steps to the third belief. And it basically goes in line with following the exact same schedule or the exact same regiment of what NFL teams themselves do, particularly the Miami Dolphins. And while there's no affiliation, I just like to play along with the GM and coaching role. It's kind of the fantasy football for me to break this team down 53-man roster in total and try to learn as much about the organization as I can to make the most accurate predictions. And what the Dolphins are doing right now is number one, they're reviewing their incumbents, the current guys on the roster, and self-scouting and figuring out where they have to make changes. Number two, they're identifying free agent targets across the league. The pro personnel scouting department will take care of that. And number three, of course, the college guys are stacking their their draft board and we're going to do all of that for all 10 positions and we start here with the quarterback spot and first before we start off with the incumbents this season did not go as planned and I think the ideal situation for this Dolphins team at the quarterback spot would have been Josh Rosen to take this team by the horns and really take command of the organization of the offense of the entire franchise as a whole and make it his own and rise the tide of those around him That didn't happen even in the slightest. In fact, I think the best part about the Josh Rosen situation was that we did get a definitive answer in the other direction and we probably won't see the Dolphins invest any more resources into that idea and basically chalking it up as a sunken cost. And while before the season, we probably thought if that were the case, then the entire season was an absolute nightmare at the quarterback position, but it wasn't because although we knew the Dolphins were getting an elite presence and character with Ryan Fitzpatrick, that wound up being true. But what we didn't expect was that he would get here and basically become a top 15 level quarterback in the NFL. And that's just what he did. And we start here with the incumbents with Ryan Fitzpatrick, his stats from the 2019 season. He completes 62% of his passes for 235 yards per game, seven yards per attempt. His 20 touchdowns was good for 4% of his total pass attempts. His 13 picks were 2.6% of his pass attempts. He had an 85.5 passer rating and a 64.7 total QBR. A nice grade there from the ESPN stat. His PFF grade was 76.6. That ranks 17th of 69. Nice qualifying 
qualifying quarterbacks. He played 882 snaps on the season. That was good for 81.7% of Miami's offensive workload this season. And Fitzpatrick moved a one-dimensional offense with regularity. We've talked about the first down marks, the points scored. He had 37 and 27 points up against two top 10 defenses and eventual division champs in the month of December, led the Dolphins to a 5-4 and four finish despite a roster of previously unknowns. And of course, he helped unlock the potential of several pass catchers like Mike Gesicki, Preston Williams, and 1,202-yard receiver Devontae Parker. He erased free rushers, even with drop passes and unmitigated pressure in his face relentlessly. He found a way to salvage it all, and his sharp skill set of beating the defense pre-snap with his recognition of the coverage and where it might roll had the Dolphins' offense moving the sticks with better-than-league average regularity and his astute anticipatory skills and unparalleled faith and trust in his eyes and what he sees allowed him to carve up some defenses with less than superior talent around him. I posted a video thread in that column up on LockedOnDolphins.com where I show you his great manipulation of the defense with his body position and eyes and ability to snap back to the target and throw an accurate pass. You go back to training camp, this quarterback told us all that he thinks his best football is ahead of him. Brian Flores repeated that sentiment and that he has never had more confidence in his own abilities and I think we saw vindication of that this year from Ryan Fitzpatrick. The guy behind him, Josh Rosen, not quite the same. 53.2% completion. He threw for just 94.5 yards per game in those starts. He had 5.2 yards per attempt. He threw one touchdown. That's 0.9% of his throws into the end zone. Five interceptions, 4.6%. He had a 52 passer rating and a 19.4 QBR. So nearly 50 points worse than Ryan Fitzpatrick in total QBR. And to me, it was over before it even started for Josh Rosen. Fitzpatrick blew him out in OTAs back in May and June. And then the progression continues into training camp. He struggled to hit stationary targets and warmups, and he had utter difficulty moving the football an inch in some of the team periods at practice. He did have a strong preseason, which kind of got fans up excited a little bit, mainly the ones that hadn't seen him practice every day, but that evaporated when he took the field in September. And just as you can tell when a player has it You can also tell when they don't have it. I thought from the start, Rosen didn't have it. His inability to compartmentalize the mental side of the game in any of those three starts got Alan Hearns knocked out because, as he was very often, Rosen was late, threw the ball to the wrong shoulder, the wrong hip, his location, his timing, it was never there. You just go back to that week six game between Washington and Miami, and Fitzpatrick had that offense humming. Josh Rosen could not move that offense at all. The comparison to me is very, very tangible on that game, and that's why Josh Rosen, I thought, took a backseat to Ryan Fitzpatrick and never got back onto the field except for a couple injury snaps in the Colts game for Ryan Fitzpatrick. All right, we're going to take our final break here and come back and talk about the veteran free agent quarterback market, who is available in the 2020 draft as well at quarterback, and my prediction for the 2020 quarterback room of your Miami Dolphins, as well as my shortlist for pick number five. All of that next, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. I considered editing the format for the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com, taking a look at the preview of the 2020 roster building series at quarterback and the position going forward. Because I put free agents first and the draft second, I think some folks might see that and be misled by my general thoughts about the position, but I just went in order of how things happen chronologically on the NFL calendar. And so with that, we get into the free agent market 
and we're going to do the free agent market and draft prospects by three different categories. Number one, the guy who's the top target in that area, the reasonable route, who might make more sense for Miami, and the sleeper, kind of an off-the-wall pick at the position. And with free agency, the guy I chose was Teddy Bridgewater, and we won't spend too much time on the quarterback market here because I do think that Teddy is probably the best option if you want to buy a future franchise quarterback or potentially a franchise quarterback. I do believe that Cam Newton is the best option, but because he has to be acquired via trade and probably take some of your draft capital, a big contract, and that's on top of the fact, will the Panthers trade the most important player in that franchise's history? I just can't say for sure if they will. So I put Bridgewater up here, even though I don't think that happens. The Saints were 5-0 in his starts, but he basically was a glorified caretaker during those games. The Saints averaged just 21.8 points per game when he was in there if you remove special teams and defensive touchdowns, whereas on the other side with Drew Brees in 11 games, averaged 30.3 points per game, so better than a 9-point fall off there from Bridgewater to Brees. And he is a Miami native. That connection is going to be made. He was passed on here last season, but I think that if he leaves New Orleans and leaves the opportunity to be the heir apparent to Drew Brees, I believe he'll do that for the massive contract, the massive payday. And I just think Miami would be foolish to do that given their position in the draft this year and the draft capital they have possibly next year if things don't work out this coming April. The reasonable route, I just said sit out. I'm good on Tom Brady. I'm good on Phillip Rivers. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is the best option among all those free agent options out there, unless you have something crazy in mind, like going out and finding a way to sign Drew Brees. But again, I don't think crazy will happen at this position for Miami. And the sleeper, I just put Marcus Mary. I don't believe in his ability to kind of have a Ryan Tannehill renaissance, but I do think that he's the type of player you can put in your offense and he can come off the bench and give you four or five plays a game, which changes the look for the defense. Maybe you get some big rushing yards out of him. The Titans have done in the last two games in the playoffs and that week 17 game against the Texans. Maybe Miami gets him on the cheap for a one-year deal and try some stuff like that. But the real area of contention here is the draft and the guy for the draft who else would it be? Tua Tungavailoa. We spent an entire segment today talking about him. I won't go further into the superlatives that I continue to heap at this quarterback and how great I think he is. Just go back to the first segment, but also go into the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. Check out my videos. Hell, just type in at Wingfield NFL Tua Tungavailoa and go to videos on your Twitter search. I have posted probably hundreds of videos of this quarterback. He's downright awesome, and he's been quarterback one for me for a very long time. I put Jordan Love as the reasonable route, although Tua Tungavailoa is in that position, just because if maybe the hip doesn't come back right, then I think Jordan Love is the next quarterback option for Miami. I've talked at length about his Patrick Mahomes type arm, not just in the velocity, but in the way he can alter the arm angle and put touch and velocity and unrivaled zip on the football compared to anybody I've ever seen. He is such an intriguing prospect, but I think with Tua Tungavailoa now in the fold, he kind of takes a backseat to Tua And the sleeper from the draft, I'm going to go with Utah's Tyler Huntley. We're going to harp on mobility, accuracy, and leadership while discussing this position basically all offseason long and into training camp. And Huntley has two of those three boxes checked emphatically. He rushed for 15 touchdowns and over 1,100 yards on the ground in his three years as the starter there. He exudes leadership and competitive spirit. 
Kyle Whittingham, one of the most underrated coaches from one of the most underrated programs in college football, said, quote, he's as fierce of a competitor as I've ever been around and talked about that infectious personality rubbing off on the rest of his team. And I don't think his accuracy is some inherent issue with him. I think it's more mental. He actually had a 73.1% completion percentage this year and 67.2% over his career. But that was more in that caretaker role we talked about with Teddy Bridgewater. They love to run the football. He did have some injuries and missed some games there as well. He struggles on the deep passes going deep down the field. And a lot of that, again, has to do with the fact that he's a slow processor. He has a penchant for leading the defense to the play with his eyes or just belling on the pocket entirely before it can properly develop. I think this guy is the quintessential day three target to develop behind an injured Tua Tungavailoa and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I put my quarterback rankings up there. I have Tua as QB1. I still think Jordan loves QB2. I know I'm going to get so much hate for having Joe Burrow as three, but I still factor in 2018's tape as well as 2019's. And to me, Tua has never had a bad season. I know Jordan Love did this year, but I buy in on the traits more so than the production. Number four is Jake Fromm. Number five, Justin Herbert. Although I really don't care for either of those prospects at this stage, maybe Fromm can come back next year and re-impress me again. The other free agent quarterbacks of note, we talked about Brady, Rivers, Breeze. Jameis Winston's out there. I'm, I'm good on that one. Dak Prescott would be interesting, but I think Dallas gets that deal done soon. And of course, Ryan Tannehill with the Titans. And let's just go ahead and bookend this thing back with the Alabama quarterback and Tua Tungavailoa. You talk about the leadership and the presence and just the aura that he brings about him. This guy is beloved by everybody that's ever come in contact with him, whether it's Nick Saban and Alabama fans down there in Tuscaloosa, whether it was Trent Dilfer and his effusive praise for Tungavailoa in those great Elite 11 passing camp videos available up on Utah on YouTube, not Utah. And you couple that with all the statements that Flores and Greer have talked about with a quarterback and how they're hardwired. It just makes way too much sense for me. And I wrote an article back in last offseason where I basically said, you're not going to get Flores and Tua because if you do get Tua, that means you finish dead last most likely. And that means that Brian Flores is not a good football coach, but the Dolphins won five games with this roster under Flores. And he proved time and time again, how quality of a coach he is. And still Miami has a good chance to get to a Tungavailoa because of some divine intervention with the catastrophic hip injury that took him out for the entire season. So my 2020 quarterback prediction is going to be the starter, Ryan Fitzpatrick, your backup, Tyler Huntley and Tua Tungavailoa with either the fifth or the third pick in the draft will start the season on PUP. Maybe it gets moved over to injured reserve, but those are my quarterbacks, Fitzpatrick, Huntley, and Tua Tungavailoa. So go check out the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We're going to come back on tomorrow's episode, and I'm going to go further into Ryan Fitzpatrick's game as some earlier games in the Dolphins season and what I learned from re-watching those games, as well as the running back position. And because I promised it to you guys on the first part of the podcast, and I've been lying about this stuff so much lately, my quick short list for Miami with the fifth pick, Tua obviously tops that shortlist. He always did as long as the medical was okay. But if something crazy happens and the Dolphins pass on him or maybe he's not there, what's the rest of that shortlist look like? You guys know that Isaiah Simmons is number two for me, the linebacker that can transform your defense. Jeff Okuda, the cornerback, great man cover skills, willing tackler, sweet feet. He does it all. A great fit here for Miami. He is number three behind Simmons and Tua. Then I have Derek Brown, the Auburn defensive tackle slash defensive end slash does everything to wreck your entire offensive game plan. And then I have the two right tackles, Tristan Wirfs and Jedrick Wills, who I believe are both better than Andrew Thomas, but I would try to trade back if that was what I was left with to look at in that particular spot. And the same is true of Derek Brown. I would go Tua, Simmons, Okuda, trade back, Brown, Wirfs, and Wills. 
We're going to be incorporating much more college talk and prospect talk on the podcast going forward. And before we get out of here for today's podcast, a couple of contracts to tell you about. Jake Rudock is back. He signed to a futures deal with the Miami Dolphins. And last week, I never got around to telling you guys that cornerback Rashad Kazi is also a Miami Dolphins futures contract signee. But as for today's podcast, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Thank you.